Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Father, His Father, who has blessed us in Christ and with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen. Word of God for our special attention this morning is our second lesson, 2 Corinthians 13, 11 to 14. It's printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ. So, cities throughout our nation, even elsewhere in the world, have been stirred by protests and, in too many instances, violence and crime. It's not over yet, at least not everywhere, but when it is, what will be left at the end? Will the protesters feel that they have secured the changes that they were seeking? Will the police have confidence that they can do their jobs as they need to do them? Will the neighborhoods and districts destroyed by rocks and bats and arson ever recover? What will home and business owners have left at the end? And when this coronavirus has run its course, or mass vaccinations have made it impotent, what will be left at the end? The seniors graduating without graduations. The families suffering helplessly, frustrated as loved ones died in hospitals or nursing homes, alone because no one was allowed to see them. The Small business owners no longer able to make their mortgages or rent, let alone payroll, with no income. The unemployed workers losing homes and cars and opportunities and health even just because their savings couldn't last. What will be left at the end? It's hard to believe it's the beginning of June, isn't it? 2020 has already had way more than 12 months' worth of troubles, and we have seven months left to go. When we reach the last hours of December 31st, what will be left at the end? We can ask that question about all sorts of things, things like projects and challenges, adventures and problems, but also Also about our lives, our careers, our relationships, our dreams. When those come to their finish, what's left at the end? We want the answer to be only good. Success, happiness, fulfillment, rewards. But for too many people in too many situations, the answer to what's left at the end is nothing good. Emptiness. Disappointment, fear, pain, loneliness, grief, exhaustion. Now, as Christians, we know that the end of the world is coming and that what awaits us then will be wonderful, eternal life in the bliss of paradise with our Lord. And we know that that if we die with faith in Jesus, that end will also be blessed when our soul goes to heaven to wait with Him for the resurrection. But in the meantime, there are lots of other ends as we live our lives. And oftentimes, it's harder to deal with them than it is to face down our deaths or judgment day. 
A reading from 2 Corinthians 13, this Trinity Sunday, helps us see that, that God has not left us without instruction, power, or encouragement for any or and all of those not-dead-yet situations. We see here what's left at the end. And it's actually right there in the first word of our text. Finally. The Greek word there has a basic meaning of that which remains or is last. Paul is using it here to conclude his letter to the church at Corinth, but it is not just a convenient or conventional way to say, I'm almost done writing now. It's only a few verses in our Bibles. But what he tells us here not only sums up much of what he had written in his entire letter, but it also points us, his readers, away from our problems and any selfish goals toward the solutions that we have in God and in His goals. Now, you are probably familiar with that last verse, and especially when we read it, said, oh yeah, I know that one. Because it is known as the apostolic blessing and is often used at the end of our services or even the occasional sermon. It's special because it is so clearly Trinitarian, and because it it so succinctly shows what everything in life and faith comes down to at the end, which happens to also be how everything started at the beginning, which we saw earlier in the reading of the creation account. It all comes down to the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their blessing on our lives and souls. It all comes down to that because we have our purpose and our identity in the Trinity. We are the people of the triune God. It's not just that we belong to God because He with the Spirit on the waters, the Son speaking His mighty word, and the Father willing and acting, because He created us. It's not just that, because that would be true of all people, even the most evil unbelievers. No, this is who we are, His people. Because each person of the Trinity was determined to restore us to the perfection and fellowship that were His intention for all people at creation. And each acted powerfully and graciously to solve our problem of sin and bring us back to His family. But before we talk about what God did, we should first talk about what you and I did. Through our first parents, we threw away perfection and paradise, letting our pride decide that the Lord could not be trusted. And what we got for our inept groping at independence was not the elevation that we sought, but was condemnation, death, and hell. But even if we were to discount our original sin as ancient history or as unfair, the reality is that the choices we make, the thoughts we think, the words we speak, and the things that we do and leave undone all reveal us to be active and adept at sinning. 
and like a looter, excusing his stealing by calling it a political statement, we find all sorts of creative ways to make our sin sound like something else. I may have hit him, but he deserved it. <sighs> what we have is, is so beautiful, and we love each other so much. God just has to approve of what we're doing, no matter what the Bible says. The only reason that I treat her that way is that she is so stubborn and she just won't listen when I tell her what's right. I get paid the same whether I do a good job or not, so why make the effort? I believe all the right things and I have all the right positions, so it really doesn't matter what I do or don't do. Sure, I may not always be the nicest guys, but... God, <laughs> It's not like I'm a murderer or anything. Well, I'm sorry if people are offended, but this is just who I am and this is the way God made me and they're just going to have to deal with it. Some of those excuses probably sound familiar, but they all have something very important in common. They are all useless. It does not matter how good a reason any of us might have for failing to love God perfectly or love our neighbor perfectly. It is all still sin. And every sin separates us from God and disqualifies us from eternal life in heaven. What each of us deserves from Him is death and hell, not reward or favor. But He gives us what we don't deserve. Because, because He loves us with a mighty and entirely unearned love and shows us mercy in Jesus Christ. God the Father's demand that justice be done cannot be set aside, but His grace intervenes and says, let us take care of that so no one has to be damned. And so He sends God the Son to earth in human form to take our place under His law and obey it without fail, and then to take our place in punishment and suffer it without relief so that He bears our guilt, endures our torment, and dies our death. And in doing so, He satisfies the Father's wrath against sin and presents us to His Father perfect holy and ready to live beside Him in eternity. And the too frequently forgotten member of the Holy Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, well, He is the one who makes sure that the benefits of what the Son did at the Father's behest become ours. Through the Gospel, He comes to us in word and in sacrament, and He gives us the faith that takes hold of forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, and, and so much more. And none of this will change. Not our need for a Savior. Not our salvation by grace through faith in our Savior Jesus. Not the work of the Holy Spirit through the means of grace. And not our identity as the people of the triune God. Sure, we can abandon it all through unbelief, 
But why would we do that? And if we did, the problem would be with us and our choice, not with God's power or goodness. And since this identity as his people is who and what we are at the end of all things, at the end of our lives, and at the end of pandemics and protests and pains and problems and projects and programs, because that is what we are at the end, it means something for how we live in all the days and hours before we reach those ends. And that's why Paul closes his letter here with some very practical instructions and encouragements and and with the assurance of the Trinity's blessing through and for it all. First, he tells us to rejoice. Rejoice! Both 1st and 2nd Corinthians contained rebukes, harsh ones of bad behavior and attitudes. And the apostle gave the church there a lot to work on. But at the end of it all, he still considered them brothers and sisters in Christ, and he still wanted them to know and celebrate the joy that comes to all believers in belonging to God and having our sins forgiven. The troubles of the day or year were and are never so big that rejoicing is out of place. In fact, rejoicing helps put our problems into perspective so that we see beyond them to the grace and wisdom of God. And next Paul says, set things in order. The idea behind the Greek word he uses here is that of getting things and getting ourselves back the way they are supposed to be. This refers to our relationship with God and also to our relationship with each other. It's working toward perfection and Christian maturity. And this instruction gives us clear direction for our attitudes and our behavior in every aspect of our lives. Be encouraged works the same way. It is not a passive thing. It means that we listen to what the Spirit teaches us through Paul and and throughout Scripture, and we take it to heart and take it into our daily lives. But this also means that we let the Holy Spirit do His work within us to comfort us and to cheer us on as we do the Father's will and wait for the Son's return and glory to take us home to heaven. Paul's next two instructions clearly go together. Agree with one another and be at peace. We might not often think of it this way, but this connects powerfully with our identity as the people of the triune God. Fighting, gossiping, constant criticism, selfishly insisting on one's rights or that one is right, making mountains out of molehills. These things, they they do not characterize a person or a people made new in Christ and devoted not only to His truth, but His love. Especially when we consider that our relationships with each other are meant to imitate the loving, perfect relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to each other within the Trinity. We were, after all, 
made and then remade to be in His image, in His likeness. So be of one mind and be at peace with each other. Now and always. Does that sound like a big ask? For some, especially those who struggle particularly with pride or anger, it might even sound like an impossible task. But with our Lord, all things are possible. And so Paul assures us at the end of these instructions, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Just what we needed. Just what Jesus promised his disciples when he gave his great commission, isn't it? Surely I am with you always until the end of the age. Whatever we need to do the things he has called us to do and to be the people he has called us to be, he will be with us to provide. That is the triune God's promise to his people. And that great commission is also part of our identity. Just as being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit gives us our place in the family of God. Gathering disciples from all nations by baptizing them and by teaching them is what we do. We, we cannot be the church of Christ if we neglect this. It's not just a command, it's our purpose. This is why believers in the church have always had to push back when society or peers or politicians or whatever people have tried to say, okay, fine, be Christians and do your Christian stuff. We like it when you're nice to everybody. Just lay off all of the evangelism and mission work stuff and and educating your children in the faith. We cannot do that. Yes, preaching the cross is an offense. It's clearly taught in Scripture. And yes, holding the truth and the authority of the Bible means that we do not fit into a sinful society. But we cannot give up any of it without also giving up who we are. Because this is what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have created, redeemed, and called us to be. And we rejoice in this identity. And we rejoice to share it with each other. And so Paul encourages our heartfelt greetings. Now, we may have to limit these at this point, culturally and hygienically, to elbow bumps and waves instead of holy kisses. But still we celebrate the fellowship that we have as brothers and sisters in the faith. Those who have been made holy, saints, love to love everyone else who has also been made holy. And finally, what is left at the end of these encouragements is the powerful blessing that focuses our hearts, our minds, and our entire lives on what matters most and what will see us through to the end of all things. Grace, love, and fellowship. 
Through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, God the Son, we have the undeserved love of God showered on us to deliver us from sin, death, and hell, and and to empower us for our new lives as His holy people. And as our Lord, He rules us and rules all things for our good. Through the loving work and attention of God the Father, we receive gifts and blessings beyond measure. And with the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit, we enjoy a special and eternal relationship with our God and a deep and essential bond with our brothers and sisters. So with this blessing ringing in our ears at the end and rooted in our our minds and hearts and souls, we are assured that everything we need to get beyond the difficulties of this day or the challenges of our lives is and always will be ours. Because this is our God. And we are His people. Hallelujah. Amen. Please rise. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.